This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Are you all ready for the word? Man, I missed you guys and I missed uh, being on this platform, but it was a much needed two week break that uh, Sonia and I got, uh, or our, our whole family got. We, uh, we took a trip to uh, India where I grew up uh, and I lived for almost 20 years of my life. And, um, uh, and, and it was a joy to just go back with my family and uh, for our two kids who have not met my sister or her family or their cousins on my, on my side to be able to just go and just be with them. And uh, it was a great time of refreshing and renewal. And I want to thank you for praying for us. And uh, we were just waiting to be back. And one of the reasons was I was just crying and tearing up because we missed worshiping with our church family. As much as I was preaching at different churches and I got a chance to preach at my, my father's church as well as, you know, at a different church on the next Sunday, it was not the same as worshiping here at church. Amen. And uh, my, my eyes just swell up today as I was just worshiping because I missed this, just being in the house of the Lord and worshiping with you guys. Our worship team is amazing. Amen. Uh, they are so blessed. And uh, it's, it's, you feel it when you leave and when you go away and you're like, uh, this is not the same. My church is awesome. Amen. Uh, Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. We are in part 27. I have preached 27 messages in the gospel, so 26 messages in the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to go to verse chapter, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 9, but we're going to go to part 27. I'm titling my message this morning, The Challenges of Faith. The Challenges of Faith. Uh, you can get access to notes on the sermon app. Um, there is all the notes available there, and uh, I could probably argue that there are some more notes than what you will see on the screen today. So if you are not on the Bible app and if you are not availing of those notes, you're missing out. So make sure that you're there uh, availing of those notes. Matthew 9, 18 to 26. Uh, we kind of discussed a part of this passage the week that I left uh, town. Uh, we talked about the woman with the issue of blood in part number 26. Uh, we skipped, we started reading about the uh, this man uh, called Jairus that comes up to Jesus, uh, but we skipped over his story and said we'll revisit it, and today is the day that we will revisit it. Uh, we're going to talk about what we're going to refer to as the challenges of faith. Uh, in verse number 18, Matthew 9, this is what the Bible says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in, knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. But Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a, commo a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. When the crowd had been put aside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Uh, we will soon be referring to Mark's account of the same story. The reason being uh, Mark and Matthew were very different in their writing. Matthew is like me when I was in school. I, I listened, but I listened to the bare minimum. Uh, <laughs> I, when the time for me to regurgitate what I studied came, uh, I wrote what was needed in my tests. Nothing more, nothing less. 
uh, when they said elucidate or explain, I didn't. I just said the main things. Uh, I highlighted the main points. And uh, if you look at Matthew, Matthew is pretty much like Ashish Matthew. He uh, goes about very uh, concisely, uh, not precisely, but concisely explaining the story. He was probably watching from a distance. He was probably there. He probably had ADHD like I do, but he was probably one of those people that didn't just get all the facts together. Mark, on the other hand, and Luke very oftentimes, and if you, if you have been paying attention, have been referring to Matthew, sorry, Mark and Luke uh, in conjunction uh, with reading the Gospel of Matthew. And the reason for that is very, uh, is, is, is found in many aspects, but the main reason is because of the detail that Mark's, Mark goes into. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to address the topic at hand. We're talking about faith today. Someone say faith. See, because faith is central to the Christian's life, uh, your faith will often be challenged. Uh, it's like immunity to the Christian, uh, immunity to the body. If, uh, you know, if, if you have a healthy body, you will also have a healthy immunity. If your immunity is doing what it's supposed to do, you will not notice anything going on with your body. But the moment you fall sick or something's going on with your body, you realize that your immunity has been compromised. Uh, and, 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 and we understand that in the physical realm. In the same way, when you understand from the spiritual realm, faith is to the Christian what immunity is to your body. It's very essential. It's very, very, very important. Faith is one of those non-negotiable items in the Christian's arsenal. In Ephesians 5, Paul reminds us that in addition to the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit and the feet of peace. It is important to have the shield of faith. It is one of the critical aspects of protecting yourselves when challenges rise up against your faith. See, faith that is not tested is not faith. Faith has to be tested in order for the Christian to be called a believer in Christ Jesus. I want to give you some biblical context of faith before we venture out into this story. The Bible tells us that we are saved by faith. That's how we are saved. It's by faith. Faith is important. See, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you look at it, the Bible says the just will live by faith. Faith is actually one of the abounding virtues. Paul reminds us that faith, hope, and love remain. They are one of the, the remaining virtues that the Bible talks about. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible, absolutely impossible to please God. God is pleased through faith. Charles Adam was the one who said, without faith, it is impossible to please God because without faith, it is impossible to have God. Faith is the crux. It is the importance of faith. Last Sunday, uh, Chris, Pastor Chris, uh, Elder Chris, uh, brought a powerful word to us. I was listening. I, I, we were packing up and getting ready to leave for the airport, so I couldn't catch service online, uh, all of it. We, we caught the worship part, and I missed the, the word, and I came back. As soon as I landed, the first thing I did was listen to the message, and man, that was powerful, where God was speaking to us about being lukewarm, about being lukewarm in our faith and being lukewarm in our attitude towards God. I kind of want to pick up where he left off last week. See, it's so important that faith is this master key to open the door to the unlimited power of an omnipotent God. We have to understand who we serve. We have to understand the power that our God has. 
And in order to unleash that power and tap into that power, it is so important and critical that the, that the Christian have faith that, that, that arises within them. For some of us, it's large. And for some of us, it's smaller. And for some of us, it's, it, everyone has a measure. Someone say measure. God has given, and the Bible says that God has given every person a measure of faith. Everyone has some kind of faith to a certain degree. You don't need to be a Christian to have some kind of faith, to have some kind of belief. See, you can't operate in this world without some kind of measure of faith or some kind of faith. We got, out, we got off of two planes that were nine hours long coming back from India. We did nine hours to Paris, nonstop, and we did nine hours from Paris to Dallas, nonstop. It takes faith to get in a plane and let a pilot take you up 30,000 feet in the air when, when you don't get a chance to stop by and say, can I check your credentials? Can, no, nobody ever does that. Pretty sure some of y'all traveled uh, on vacation here in the summer. None of y'all went up to the, the pilot's cockpit and said, sir, can I, can I check your ID? Can I check if you have completed all the certifications that's needed? No, you don't. There is this amount of faith that you have that this guy is going to take you where your ticket says that you're going to go. Have I lost you as yet? It takes faith for you to take a check to a cashier that you don't know, a human being, a man, a woman that you have no idea who that person is behind a counter, behind a glass counter, and, and take it to them and say, hey, I'm handing this check over to you. Make sure that it goes into my account. It takes a lot of faith. It takes faith to drive here, believing that you will get here safely despite all the driving skills of all the crazy people. It's not you. All the crazy people around you. It takes faith to sit there on that chair and believe that it's not going to fall apart. My talk, nobody comes in here and the first thing you do is check under the chair if all the screws are attached. No, you just sit. In fact, let me contest that so many of us Christians have more faith in that chair that you're sitting in than you have faith in God. Because when push comes to shove and when you, your, test is, your faith is tested, it is so hard for us to trust and believe that God is who He says He is. But I want you to know that faith is important to you as much as faith is important to Jesus. See, Jesus is committed to the development of your faith. He doesn't want you to stay where you are forever. If you look at his ministry, Jesus is always working on the faith of his disciples. His miracles and his teachings were designed to increase their faith. It was never a, oh, you have less faith? Wonderful, awesome. I'll meet you where you are. No, no, no. It was always a, hey, I want you to have more faith. The Bible says faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. Jesus constantly taught his disciples and people around him in an effort to increase their faith. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be moved and be cast into the sea, and it will move and be cast into the sea, and nothing will be impossible to you. Nothing is impossible to they that believe. See, faith is potent. A mustard seed faith can move mountain-sized challenges. I don't know what level of faith you operate in. Everyone here has some amount of faith, but may I challenge you this morning that the Christian should not operate in itty-bitty faith. My God is challenging us to step out of our comfort zone, to walk in a level of faith that even will blow your mind. Can I talk to somebody today? Because if you've got the faith, God has the power. It's not you doing things. It's God allowing to himself to move at the rate at which you're moving, at the rate at which your faith is willing to go. 
A mustard size faith. Jesus, not, Jesus is not advocating that we need to have itty bitty faith. Like I said, he's not suggesting that a little dab will do. Actually, Jesus was repelled by itty bitty faith. He said, "E of little faith." He's not impressed by little faith. I want to remind somebody: Jesus is not advocating that we have to have mustard size seed size faith. He says we should have the mustard seed kind of faith. Because let's be honest. We often use faith when we come to the end of ourselves and our abilities. So many of us Christians, we don't want to tap into faith as our initial response to God. It's always the last response when we don't have much strength left, when we're at the end of all our options. You don't have much gas left in the tank. You're, you're almost at the end of the road. And he's suggesting that with what you have left, if you have mustard seed ability, that's all that's needed. He's tapping into the potential and stewardship of the faith that you do have. He said, if you have mustard, if that's all you have. If you've exhausted all your resources, I understand with what you have, the measure that you have, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, that's all you need. Because if you take that little seed and put it in the ground, put a little bit of water on it. Come on, am I talking a little bit of sun hits it? When that thing starts sprouting, man, it has potential. That faith will grow and grow and grow because I'm telling you, Jesus is committed to our faith. It doesn't matter how small or how big my Jesus is invested in your faith. Jesus has just come from sailing from the other side. And the reason I said we'll go to Mark is because Mark was more chronological. Matthew kind of just, just like picked a few stories. He's like, oh, I thought about that. Let me just include chapter number. Let's, let's, he just went along and, and Mark was like, no, let's just be more chronological and where we find this story is, is immediately, we, we discussed this a few weeks ago, when Jesus casts out legion out of this man. You remember that in uh, the land of the Gadarenes? He, 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 he's just come from sailing from the other side. And uh, Mark is so much more detailed when it comes to stories. And part of that is probably because Matthew was his accountant and Mark was the creative guy. Right? It's, it's like Sonia and I. Like Sonia, Sonia and I are so opposite. She's the numbers kind of person. I'm the more creative person. Right? She hates reading. I love reading. Like during fasting prayer, somebody looked at her and said, you're going to write a book. And I was like, how is that fair? Like, like, how does that even work out? She hates reading books. How is she going to? But I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm happy for her. Lord, just, I know I'll write a book. But even if she does it before, thank you, Jesus. But... The two different people. He cares more about the numbers, maybe. He didn't care about the details. But in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible says this, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. He had traveled across the Sea of Galilee seven miles. Someone say seven miles. From Gadara or, or the land of the Gadarenes where he met this man who was living by the tombs. You remember that story? Come on, y'all are awfully quiet today. That's when I ask a question, it's more of a yes, no, maybe. Come on. The Bible says that when Jesus met him, this man was naked and he was crazy. That's what the Bible says. But when he left him, the man was clothed and he was in his right mind. Jesus had just left that. People had seen what had happened. You know what that story tells me? It tells me this, that he will meet you where you, where you are, but he won't leave you where he found you. My... I'm going to say that again. What that story reminds me and what everybody saw was that Jesus met a person where he was, but he refused to leave him where he was. He said, I'm going to take you. To, mm, come on, some, you better get excited. And now he was met by this multitude of people. 
Some of them that had just witnessed what had happened. And here's a man that we're introduced to in verse number 22. And the Bible says, his name is Jairus. Matthew leaves that out. He forgot his name. But Mark says, I remember his name. Matthew says he was a ruler. And Mark says, hold on, Matthew. He was actually the ruler of the synagogue. He was one of the, he's, he's a little more detailed. And he goes here, he, he elbows himself. And he says, I want to see Jesus. My name is Jairus. I'm, I'm one of the rulers of the synagogue. And he was with the crowd, but he pushed past the crowd so to get an audience with Jesus. Can I remind somebody that desperate people aren't intimidated by crowds or what people think about them? See, some people like crowds. Some people like crowds because it fascinates them. Some people like crowds because it's, it's, there's excitement. Other people came probably to see the miracle. That's what the crowd was all about. Others came to probably for, for entertainment or they wanted to see what Jesus was about to do next. But Jairus was there to meet Jesus. Can I ask y'all a question, a sincere question today? Why did you come to church today? And I don't mean this in a mean way, in a rude way. I am excited to see you. I, I, I am super stoked that you were here. But why did you come to see, why did you come to church today? Why did you wake up as early as you did or late as you did? Why did you wake up and why did you pull all your clothes out? Why did you put that makeup on or put that, that, that best you know, dress that you got. Why did you put all, take all that effort? You pulled your kids out from their bed. They didn't want to go to church today, but you still, why did you make it to church today? Because if you did all of that and the purpose was not to meet Jesus, there's something wrong with that. See, church is not a place for social gathering. This is not a place where we just come together and have a, a, good, a good old time where we sing a few. No, 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 that's not. The, I'll tell you this. I, I love my co-fam, but the, the reason why I wake up in the morning and my girls get excited about church Sunday after Sunday is because they get to come and worship Jesus. Come on, somebody. And Jairus was there to meet Jesus. He was a desperate man. You know what the first thing he does is? The first thing he does, Matthew skips this part, but Mark wants you to understand the importance of this. Mark chapter 5 and verse 22. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. Someone say, he fell at his feet. Notice he doesn't ask Jesus for anything first. It wasn't the long list of prayer requests that he had. He was just excited to see Jesus. And the moment he saw Jesus, he said, God can do something in my life. And the moment he understood that, the Bible says he fell at his feet. The first thing is worship. The first thing, what do we do? Like, do we pull out our, our prayer list first before, before he even asks? about what he wants from Jesus. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And I want to encourage somebody today, before you talk to the Lord, before you tell the Lord what you want, before you go into, into intercession and to asking and praying, I pray that we will be a people that enters his courts with thanksgiving, that enters his gates with pray. Come on, somebody. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. Those are the first two emotions when you see God in his magnificent glory is I cannot help but give God some praise. Ooh, he falls at his feet. Before you ask, fall. Before you ask, praise. Before you ask him for anything, thank him for everything. Give him praise. Tell him why he's worthy. 
then he goes on to this next agenda. He makes his request. This man's voice is probably cracking and tears flowing down his cheek. He's probably heard that Jesus has some powers. He's probably heard about what happened in Gadara. His faith is peaked. And in verse number 23, the Bible says, and, and he implored him, he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and she may live. She's, he says, only if you can lay your hands on my daughter. Can I pause here real quick for, 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 for Mark to kind of show us who this man is. In Mark chapter in 4 and verse 22, the Bible states that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Here's a man who had prestige. Here's a man who had influence and affluence and he had the cheese. He had the money, y'all. He had it all. He was wealthy. But I want to remind somebody, no matter how wealthy or affluent, you're soon enough going to understand if you have lived this life long enough that there is going to be a, a dead end to all the influence that you have, to all the ability and the money that you have. Eventually, you're going to run into a problem that only Jesus can address. Men like him don't have to go through, unnes through unnecessary uh, steps, like shoving through a crowd, making his way through a, a, a crowd of people that are wanting to get, no. He could go through all the bureaucracy if he wanted. He could have commanded Jesus to come to his house. All of that was there. He didn't need, he had the best doctors at his disposal. He had the best doctors money could buy. He had all the medicines, the treatments that could be possible. But all those are immaterial when you are desperate for a touch. Come on somebody. When you are desperate as Jairus was, there is a moment that you arrive in your life where you say, but God, nothing is going to be possible without Jesus intervening in my situation. And he says, Jesus, would you go with me? And in verse 24, Jesus said, I will. And he starts following him. Oof. See, Jairus is probably happy, excited that Jesus agrees. He's like, oh man. He said, yes. And, and, and he's paving the way. He's like, follow me, Jesus. And Jairus is probably in the front saying, Jesus, come along. Let me show you where the house is. He's moving people. He's like, I know you are here, but Jesus said yes to me. Sorry. So he's pushing people aside. He's like, sorry, my bad. Waving people around, get out of the way. This is where I want to wish to present to you the challenges of faith. Now, my next three points are, is not an exhaustive list of the challenges that you will face in your faith journey. But it is the three things that Jairus faced in his faith journey. It is what many of you will face in some point in your life. So may I encourage you today that Jairus is about to encounter some challenges and route to his miracle. And Jairus meets his first challenge. And number one, the, the first challenge is called delay. Someone say delay. See, Jairus is eager to get him there before it's too late. He's gotten word that, man, your daughter is dying. 
When he left home, she was probably in the ICU. The doctors had probably given a few more hours to live. She is on the last stretch. The breathing is getting longer and longer. Man, the, 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 the gap is getting longer. Everybody is anxious. People have probably told him it's too late. And he knows he needs to get Jesus as soon as possible. So he's making his way through the crowd, looking back occasionally to make sure Jesus is with him. And out of nowhere, when he glances, Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone. And he hears Jesus' voice, who touched me? Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Like, who got to touch Jesus? This is my appointment with Jesus. Anybody been there where Jesus said yes to you? And then you didn't hear from Jesus for a little bit? Oh, come on, somebody. Ooh, I've been there a lot. Jesus stops to minister to someone else and makes Jairus wait. See, just because Jesus stopped, it doesn't make him less God. See, just because your miracle is delayed, it doesn't make him less God. Jesus continues to be Jesus even though an apparent inconvenient delay has happened. He just continues to be Jesus. But to somebody else, come on. Mm. But it's not her turn, Jesus. It's not, we, we studied about this woman, so we're not going to talk about this woman today. But it's not her turn, Jesus. It's my turn. But what he doesn't understand, right? It wasn't her turn, but it was her time. See, I, mm, I'm going to go back real quick for those of y'all who were like dozing off. See, it may not have been her turn, but it was her time. Jairus, it was probably your turn. I probably said yes to you and you were up next. Anybody got jumped when you were next in line? You had the 10 o'clock appointment and then they said, uh, they came, looked over you and somebody else walked in and you're like, what just happened to my 10 o'clock appointment? Jairus is like, not fair. I understand that it's not fair, Jairus, but this is, it's probably your turn, but this is her moment. It's her time. Have you been there when an emergency came up? Like he said, I got you, but it's been like weeks. It's probably been days. It's been months. And you're like, Jesus, what's taking you so long? Like the word of God promised you. You got that confirmation like three Sundays ago. You were in service and pastor preached a message and you were like, this is the word for me. I know that this week is my week of breakthrough. You prayed for a sign and you're like, Lord, I got my sign like three weeks ago, but where are you? See, God will put a comma sometimes in your journey. Delay means he's just up to something. Just because you can't see it, it doesn't mean that he's not there. Just because you can't figure it out, it doesn't mean that he's not working it out. See, the way God strengthens your faith is where he puts you in situations where you have to exercise faith. He just doesn't slip in faith when you're sleeping at night. Come on, anybody have a new unction of faith in the morning when you wake up? And you're like, oh, what happened last night? Jesus just slipped it in. No, that doesn't work that way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith also comes by exercising your faith. When he puts you in situations where you have to exercise your faith. See, if you want stronger faith, he'll put you in situations that challenge and test you. And if you're like me, the best place God chooses to strengthen your faith can be your least favorite place. For people in the back, I'm going to say that one more time. 
See, the best place God chooses to strengthen your faith, where he deems it best, is probably your least favorite place. And you're like, Lord, why here? Like, why in my job, Lord? Like, this is the only good thing that's happening right now. And you got to test this too. And it's called the weight room. I don't know how many of y'all have been in the weight room before, but that room is the room that God loves the most. I hate that room a lot. I, I hate it with a passion. I hate it with a passion, but, but, but God looks at you and says, it's your weight room that I want you to turn into your weight room, your, your W-E-I-G-H-T room, because it's in those weight rooms that God requires you to pick up those weights and start exercising, no matter how much it hurts you. It's, it's that weight room. you got to wait on the Lord. And then see, the Bible talks about that. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Your faith will be multiplied when you learn how to be in the weight room and when you're in the weight room, be in the weight room. And some of us need to know how to wait on the Lord while we're waiting. See, that's a different dimension altogether. Waiting on the Lord is, you know, like a butler that stands by the Lord and stands by the, the plans of God and stands by the word of God and says, God, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to have the right attitude. I'm willing to be in a position of reception till I have to receive what you have to give. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Some of you have promises. Some of you, God has said, I will do it. But God is like, you're, you're in your waiting room. But what is your attitude in your waiting room? Are you grumpy? Are you just sitting back with your legs crossed? Are you just sitting back and saying, my time will come. I'm not going to do anything. No, 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 no. God, God is looking for the, for, the, for the people that will say, Lord, my attitude will be right. I'm going to wait on you. I am going to see, Lord, what do you want me to do next? What is the step that you... Come on, somebody, say, wait on the Lord. The first challenge of faith is that he was made to wait. The second challenge of faith that he encountered, I call it other people's blessing. That's the next challenge. See, while Jairus was waiting... Jesus is working on someone else. He's waiting for his own miracle while he's seeing another miracle. The one, man, man, Jairus in his mind is like, that was supposed to be mine. That job was mine. That business, I'll put that, that. How many of y'all have watched Shark Tank and you like looked at that, that amazing uh, idea that came like, why didn't I think of that? I thought about that 10 years ago. No, you didn't. No, no, you, you didn't do anything about it. My time. It is not, it's not a good feeling when you look, at, look around. You're waiting in your blessing and Jesus has said yes to you. He has checked off the box. He had cleared all the papers. You, you've gone all through. You've, Jesus, you, you've gotten the seal of approval and yet you're sitting aside and you're watching other people be blessed and you're like, what am I doing wrong? And Jairus is sitting here. Can I re remind someone it's good to witness a miracle when you need a miracle? Because what that does to your faith is it can do two things. One, it can put you in a rut and tell you and remind you that you're no good and nothing ever good is going to come to you. On the other side, it can remind you that if God did it for them, God can do Come on. Stop hating on what God is doing in somebody else's life. If God is blessing your neighbor, it just means that God is in the neighborhood. But those are the moments we can't stand. Ooh. 
them. My neighbor's being blessed. My brother's being blessed. My sister's being blessed. My cousins are being blessed. My best friend from school is being blessed. They got a fiance. They got a husband. I'm just, Lord. See, and that's why it's important to share your testimony. See, if God is doing something for you, don't just, don't just witness it and be okay with it without anybody. Like, shout it out from the rooftops. Come on. Tell somebody, God did this for me today because what it does, it reminds me Jesus is in the neighborhood. And when Jesus is in the neighborhood, my faith is elevated to where I know that if God did it for Alyssa, man, my house is the next stop. My, my business is the next. Come on, somebody. My, my family, my children, my finances, my future. Come on. My future husband, my future delay in blessings is not a curse. God is looking at you and saying, it's just not your time as yet. Come on. Mm. Your turn may have been two years ago, but the Bible says that in his time, he does all things beautiful. Rebecca, which means it's just not going to be possible. It's just not going to happen. It's when it happens, it's going to be the very best. Someone say God's time. See, the third challenge of faith is the naysayers. Ooh, the kids are getting ready to come inside to get prayed over. We're going to pray over the kids. I'm going to close here. The naysayers. I can't stand this group of people, y'all. I don't know about you, but Mark 5 verse 35 says, while he was still speaking to the woman, the audacity. The miracle is happening. The breakthrough is happening. And yet they had the gall to step up and say, you still, you still here, Jairus? You, you, are you still here? Looked at them and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master. Notice the daughter was sick and Jesus said, I got you. Come on, ever been in that? She was just sick and when she was sick, Jesus said, I got you. I'll be there. But anybody been in a situation where Jesus said he'll be there, but yet your situation died? See, this is the reality of the situation is that Jesus said yes to it and and despite of Jesus checking off on this situation, the situation still died. Can I remind you, sometimes things get worse before they get better? And it's not just happening to you, it's biblical. There's biblical precedence to it. And somebody here, you're going through pain, and you're like, Lord, I don't know when it's going to end, and I don't know when it's going to get better, but I want to remind you today. That even though it's getting worse, it doesn't mean that Jesus does not care. See, I don't care for this group of people. Not because they have bad news. All that they had to say was, Jairus, your daughter is dead. But they came in with their own recommendations. Anybody have amazing friends in your life that come in with their recommendations? I think you should. I think you didn't do. I think that you should have done They wanted to tell him how to handle his situation. Particularly, they targeted his faith in God. In one sentence, this is what they were communicating. If he was God, he wouldn't let that happen. Woo! If he was God, man, 
uh, I don't know why you're wasting your time praying. Where are all your church folk? Death has the final say. Why'd you waste your time? What did your faith do? You didn't have enough faith. God is too busy for you. Just give up. Told you you wouldn't make it in time. Told you you were wasting time in church. See, the only advantage the naysayers got is that they got the truth. Like, they were right. They, they were kind of right. Can I, can, I, can I pause and just talk about this for a second? They had truth on their side. The truth was she had died. They got that right. See, but this is the problem. The problem is the naysayers get the truth mixed up with the facts. Come on, just five more minutes. Bear with me here. See, the naysayers are not wrong all the time, Stan. They're not wrong, Chris. They're right. They have their, they, they have their, mm, the facts right. Everything adds up, right, Eric? Every, they're, they're right in what they say. They're not wrong. But here's the thing. The truth always outweighs the fact. The fact was she was dead, but the truth was Jesus said, I got this. It's two different things. The naysay is always fine to throw in facts at you. They throw logic at you. Let's be practical. Let's be logical. No, no, no. See, some, sometimes the ways of Jesus and, and the things Jesus says defies the laws of logic because my God says, I can say and do what I want to do and it will outweigh anything that man has said or will ever say to you. Just because they have a good point, it doesn't make it the truth. Oh. Because here's the, the fact. The fact is that we were all supposed to go to hell. The truth is that Jesus died on the cross. And he said, I died for your sins. I, who have a list, but I'm going to keep on going. As soon as they said it. This is what the Bible says. Jesus looked at Jairus. Not at them. As soon as they said this, Jesus looked at them. And verse 36, he says, do not be afraid. Keep on believing. Don't listen to what they said. Remember what I promised. That's what Jesus says. He says, who cares what they say, man? Jesus overheard. Come on, I'm, I'm talking to some of y'all and saying, you better believe what the word says about your situation. Not what the experts say. Not what the family says. Not what the mother says. Not what the father says. Not what people around you that have the best interest in your mind. Not your brother. Not your sister. Not, the, not your BFF. Not the one that was there before any. No, 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 no. What has God said about my life? And Jesus says, he doesn't talk to them. He doesn't cast them out. Jesus doesn't say, y'all be quiet. See, Jesus doesn't care about your naysayers. He cares about your heart. He wants to make sure your heart is focused. I'm talking to some hearts that can be easily swayed by the enemy and the naysayers. Today, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will submit your heart to the truth of the word of God that says, I love you and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Come on, somebody. Fear and faith cannot coexist. Here is fear coming and knocking. Someone actually said this, that fear knocked on the door, faith answered the door, and no one was there. Fear will always knock at your door, but when you respond and say, faith, go and answer the door, trust me, when I tell you this, fear will run away. I gotta wrap this up. He says, Peter, James, and John, come with me. He goes in. There are professional mourners all over the place. 
Professional mourners are all over the place, mourning and crying. Why? Because they see a dead girl. Jesus looks at the same girl, but comes up with a different conclusion. Amy, are you getting this? Like you're the only person in the room that's actually understanding this revelation. I thank God for Amy. Jesus sees the same. One group of people see the same girl and they're like, Jesus sees the same girl and says, what's wrong with y'all? You know who I want to do church with? You know who I want to worship with? A group of people that can walk into any dead situation and say, I serve a big God. I don't care how impossible this situation is. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to weep. I'm not going to mourn. My God is able. My God is powerful. And if my God says, do not fear, I will not fear. Because if he lives, I will also live. He says, y'all, why y'all crying? That's how faith responds, y'all. That's how, a, that's how a man of faith, that's how a woman of faith responds. Why y'all crying? Why y'all down? Come on, lift your head up. She's not dead. She's only a mm, Come on, somebody. Same roadblock, different perspective. You know how faithlessness responds? Even after Jesus says, focus, faithlessness responds by saying, they laughed him to scorn. Unbelievers will laugh at you when you have faith. See, if you, want to, if you want to have faith and be a Christian, do not hang out with people that will laugh at your faith. It's not worth it. If you're worried about what people think about you, don't follow Jesus. Don't. Don't, don't waste your time following Jesus. Because following him will make you look like a fool to people who don't have Jesus in them. People are going to look at you and like, what is wrong with you? And you're going to be like, Jesus. Ooh, come on, somebody. I gotta skip this. I gotta skip this. Ooh. Y'all getting something from this? The children are hollering and screaming. Let me wrap this up. Come on. My third time wrapping up. Okay. See, it's natural to doubt when you got naysayers around you. It's that, and I want to remind Christians this. Doubt is not the problem. See, it's okay. It's, it's okay. You remember that man that came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, help my what? Unbelief? It's okay. It's, doubt is, uh, is a part of, of believer's life. Just because you have doubt, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. See, fear is the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of. Am I talking to somebody? It's possible to have doubt, but, but when you have doubt, it's important to put, put it out. Like That's when Jesus steps in and helps your doubt. That when you have doubt is when you say, Jesus, can you help my doubt here? Jesus steps in. The Bible says when he, he looks at them and he puts them out. Some of y'all need to put your naysayers out. Yeah, no sugarcoating. It's like, I cannot sugar. Like, Christians don't need to sugarcoat this stuff. Stop sugarcoating this stuff. Like, when I see somebody put something, I look at a candle that somebody goes, and it goes out. Don't coexist with naysayers. Don't coexist with people that drag you down and put you down. Like some relationships need to go. Like some friends got to go. Some doors have to close. Bring the kids in, guys. Bring the kids in. Let me give you three, three things. The three things that will help you tackle these challenges. The three points that I gave you, 
One is delay. The first thing you do when delay hits you and delay affects your faith, wait on God in your waiting. Have the right attitude in the presence of God. The second thing you want to do is you want to increase your faith. As you see other people being blessed around you, stop being envious. Stop being jealous. It may be your turn, but it's not your time. But be assured when it's your time, it doesn't matter how impossible or dead the situation is. My Jesus doesn't change. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forevermore. Increase your faith as you watch God makes, make, watch God makes a way for others. The third one is put out the naysayers. Come on, kids. Come up here. Let's pray for you guys. How many of you received a word this morning? Come on. I believe that God is encouraging us in this season because I believe God is with us. Amen. Come up here. Come up here. All of y'all come up here. Stand over here. Let's pray for these guys. Amen. How many of you cannot wait for your kids to go back to school? I cannot wait. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Some of you love your kids too much. Come on, girls. Guys. That's right. Jump. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah, are you ready to go to school? Yes. Are you ready to go to school? <laughs> That's right. Are you ready to go to school? Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Come up. Come on. Come on. Come on. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. This is my platform. That, that. Yeah. Okay. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, let's bless these kids. Can y'all stand up to your feet, church? Can y'all stand up to your feet? You parents cannot wait for your kids to go to school. But there's another group of people that can't wait for the kids to come. They're called for this. And they're teachers. We need to pray for them. Where are teachers at? Any teachers here? Any teachers here? Prince, come up. Prince, come up. Rincey, come up. Any more teachers in this place? Teachers, 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 teachers. I think I've accounted for all the teachers. Prince and Rincey, come up, come up. We want to embarrass you guys as well. Aren't you thankful for teachers, y'all? Come on. Come on. Give, come on. Come on. We're going to bless you guys as well. We're going to bless you guys as well. All right. You guys ready? Come up. Come up, Prince. Oh, man. What snacks did y'all have in Sea Kids today? N Nico's on fire. All right. Let's go. All right, y'all ready? We're going to pray for you guys, okay? We're going to bless, we're going to bless Rinsey. We're going to bless Prince. We're going to say thank you to them. Are y'all okay with saying thank you to these guys? We love our teachers. And here's what we do every year, and we want to bless them again. This is a gift card for you guys, for your classrooms. Go and make your classrooms. <laughs> Go and make your class. That had more. In, no, I'm just kidding. That good day. Go and make your classrooms beautiful. Amen. We want to bless our teachers because our teachers mean the world to us. Amen. Uh, say thank you to your teachers. Let's pray for our kids. Amen. Let's do this. All of y'all reach your hands out. Stretch your hands out. And let's bless our kids right now. Son, would you come up, baby? Come up real quick. Let's, let's pray for our kids right now. Let's pray that God gives them wisdom. Let's pray that God gives them strength. You're a teacher too. I forgot. Okay. I'm going to have a gift card for you too. I totally forgot. I know. Appreciate. I, I totally, totally. All right. Let's pray for them as well. Okay. We have three teachers in our midst. Let's go. All right. Let's pray for our kiddos. Let's pray that God fills them with wisdom and strength and understanding. Let's pray that God will strengthen them and give them the strength for the school year. Pray for the kids.
Father, we thank you for our kiddos, Lord, and we thank you for your protection over them, Lord, during the summer. And as uh, they begin the school year, I pray that your presence will go with them, Lord, that your hand will be upon them, that they will be a blessing um, in their classroom, and they will be a blessing to their friends and their teachers, Lord. I pray that they will be able to comprehend everything that they are learning. They will excel and they do well in their classes, God. We just pray, God, that your hand will be upon them, Lord, that nothing will come against them in Jesus' name, Lord. No enemy, no plan of the enemy war will come against our children, Lord, that they are covered by your precious blood. Father, we seal our kids, and we thank you, Lord. We pray for protection over the schools, Lord, uh, that no harm, Father, will come against the schools this year in Jesus' name against every attack of the enemy, Lord, against our children. We bind that, Lord. We pray for the teachers, God. We pray, Lord, that you will give them wisdom and strength and patience and understanding to teach the kids, Lord, Father God, the, the, the subjects that they need to teach, Lord, and give them the strength, Lord, to carry on this year. We, we bless them, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for the, the blessing that they are to us as a church. Lord, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.